Good morning, church. So good to be with you again. And I'm looking forward to the time when we're back together. I was thinking about you today and thinking about how wonderful it's going to be when we're all worshiping together. And uh, I'll tell you, I really believe that we're never going to take uh, the time that we have together for granted ever again. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about the same, about Remez. And so the name of the series is Understanding Remez. And today the title is called What's in a Name? Uh, I'm going to be... We're going to start off with some scripture. I really encourage you to download the notes. There's a lot of scriptures. We're going to we're going to be uh, covering a lot of ground with scripture, Uh, but it's it's something that you can follow along. I want to give you all the information and just make sure that you see it and that you're uh, tracking with me. Uh, We're going to be going into the Book of Revelation, and so right away when you hear that, some people will go, "Wow, Revelation! I don't know if I want to track with this and follow along with this." But it's really simple, and I'm going to show you something in a remez in the book of Revelation, that uh, a little different type of remez, uh, that uh, we're really, I think, uh, there's a little hidden message there that's going to really uh, share with you some things. And really what I want you to see out of the, all of this remez understanding is just how interesting the Word of God is, and how full and rich and deep. There's so much there. However, for the simplest person, it's simple. But when we want to, if we want to dig in a little deeper, there sure is a lot there to be mined out of the Word. And so we're going to be going over to uh, Revelation chapter 7. Now, Rev- the book of Revelation is, a, is covering predominantly the seven-year tribulation period. That is the, the, the backstory or the purpose of the book of Revelation. What happens during those seven years? Some chapters are talking about what happens in heaven, uh, during those seven years, some chapters are talking about what's going on on the earth, and other chapters are merely informational that tie the two together. So today we're going to be talking about Revelation chapter 7, and so let's just get right into it and you'll see where we are here. After these, it's uh, <clears throat> Revelation 7, 1 through 10. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things, I looked. Remember, this is a story. John is relating this story when he's caught up into heaven while he's imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. He has this revelation, and Jesus takes him into uh, the spirit run to heaven and brings this revelation to him. And so he says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's take a look at verses 13 through 15. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these? arrayed in white robes. And where did they come from? 
And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here we have, in mid-tribulation, we have a, a rapture event that has taken place where there's been a catching away of the people in mid-tribulation into heaven. And all of a sudden, as he's hearing about the, uh, the sealing of, the, of these 12 tribes of Israel, uh, he sees all of a sudden this great multitude appears of all nations, tribes, and peoples. And it's interesting when it says great multitude. Uh, that, that word polus oklos, and it's in the Greek, and the word oklos alone means a huge multitude of people. When you add polus in front of it, it really means uh, many, much more. It's, it's a greater multitude uh, than the word oklos. And so this is really a large number of people that all of a sudden appear in mid-tribulation before the throne of God. And so we see two groups here. First of all, we see the Jews who are sealed, who are set apart, who are doing God's work. And the Bible here tells us, the scriptures tell us that they are servants of God. And so they're a servant who's bound to their master to do his will to do his service, to do his ministry. I'd like to propose uh, something to you in regards to this that we're going to see through the scriptures today, and that is that these are saved Jewish evangelists, which this remiss will reveal to us. And so they are not just Jewish people that are, that are serving under the law. These are these 12 tribes that are talking about here in mid-tribulation. We're going to see that they actually have a revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord, and they become saved, and they become the ones who go throughout the earth, and they begin to uh, witness, and they begin to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, we have that second group, which is a great multitude from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And so these, are the, these, are, these people are the fruit that is produced by their ministry of these Jewish evangelists. Now hold on to where we just covered in Revelation chapter 7. We're going to take a sidetrack here. We're going to take a little turn here. But we're going to come back to this. And so I want to I wanna take you to another block of Scripture. I want to show you something. And uh, let's take a look at, uh, we're going to turn to Jan, Daniel chapter 9. But uh, this section, I want to call it the times of the Gentiles and the times of the Jews. And so at this point of, of Revelation 7 in mid-tribulation, what has already taken place is the Gentile church has already been caught up uh, to, to meet Jesus in the air. And they are now, and at this point, they are in heaven. So they're no longer on the earth. The Gentile church has caught up. And they are taken away into heaven. You'll find that in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And actually, that's the proper word for rapture. You'll not find the word rapture in the Bible. You'll find the word harpazo, and that's actually the word that means uh, catching away, to be caught up. And that's in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And so now, we're ta- remember, we're talking about this tribulation time. So I want to look, take a look at Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And this is a prophecy that is really amazing. And it really details the coming of the Messiah, as well as some other things that will take place uh, leading up to the tribulation time. And so this is a prophecy that was given to Daniel. If you read the beginning of chapter 9, you'll find that he was fasting, he was praying, he was repenting for the nation. He had been reading the book of Jeremiah, and he found as he reads the book of Jeremiah, he finds exactly why his people, why they went into captivity, why Judah went into captivity into Babylon, uh, which was actually, they were taken away at 590, around 597 was the first group that was uh, taken into Babylon. And he found out why, because of their sin and their rebellious nature to God. And um, then he finds that 70 years has been determined for this captivity time. And so 
He's reading this. He's repenting. He's weeping before the Lord. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to him, and it's Gabriel. It's Gabriel the angel. And, of course, he's the same angel that came to Mary later on and, and told Mary that she was going to uh, be with child and, uh, of course, give birth to Jesus. And so let's take a look at Daniel chapter 9 and see what this angel tells Daniel. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So right off the bat, we hear that 70 weeks are determined for your people. So we know that this is talking about Israel because it says for your people and for your holy city. So for your people, uh, Israel and Jerusalem. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression. Now listen to this, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Wow, I like that. You can already tell that it's talking about Jesus, to anoint the most holy. And you know, the word Christ, Jesus Christ, you know, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a designation, and it actually is a Greek term that signifies the Messiah. But the actual word for Christ is the word Christos in the Greek language, and actually means the anointed one. So here we have uh, this prophecy, this angel is speaking to Daniel, and he actually uses the word anoint. I like that. What an, what a, an alluding to Jesus. And so... What this is saying that in this 70 weeks, that there's going to be an understanding that Israel's eyes are going to be open to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's exciting. So let's look at verse 25. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we see two group periods, seven weeks and then 62 weeks. Of course, if you add those together, you come up with 69 weeks. Then he says, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, in other words, the 62 weeks after the seven weeks, After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Wow, that's an amazing uh, proclamation right there. Because when Jesus went to the cross, did he go to the cross for himself? No, he went to the cross for us. And so when he's cut off or when he's crucified, he did that not for himself, but he did that for us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And of course, we know that that actually took place in 70 AD when uh, Commander Titus uh, and the Roman, the Jewish Roman wars uh, took place and the temple was destroyed. Remember, Jesus said not one stone will be left upon the other when he was sitting in the temple. And so the temple was destroyed, the city was destroyed, and uh, that actually took place in 70 AD. Then he says, the end of it shall be with the flood, And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, I want to take a look at, uh, look at verse 25, because there's, there's actually a very detailed time element here of when the Messiah is going to come. Uh, The angel wanted, the Lord, through the angel, wanted the people, the Jewish people, to know exactly when the Messiah was going to appear on the earth. And so he said, know therefore and understand. He said, see it this way, know this, take a hold of this. And then he gives you the time elements from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. And so what we have here is King, now this is just history, King Xerxes, or he's also known as AKA Artaxerxes, and so King Xerxes Uh, gave this command, if you remember the story of Nehemiah. King Xerxes gave this command to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the wall 
of the city to rebuild Jerusalem, and he gave that command in 444 B.C. This is just history. So 444 B.C. is an important date. And so now notice the 69 weeks end with the crucifixion of Christ, the Messiah being cut off. So what we have here at the end of 69 weeks, we have Jewish time, this prophetic Jewish time clock, if you will, begins at 444 B.C. And this time clock runs for 69 weeks, or, or you could say 69 sevens of years. And this Jewish time clock goes all the way to the crucifixion. At the crucifixion, this, the Jewish time clock stops, and now the time clock, or the time of the Gentiles, begins... And that goes all the way up until the Gentiles or the Gentile church is raptured away. At that point in time, then the Jewish time clock will start again for one more week or for seven more years. And we call that, that's, that's the 70th week uh, that we're looking for. Actually, in the scriptures, it calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. And so it will be a troublesome time. However, I want to just take a moment and say this. It's interesting when you read through the book of Revelation, take note of how many people are born again. We're going to cover that today. Take a look at that. We've already seen that in the beginning in Revelation 7. But also I want you to understand that if you read Matthew chapter 24, uh, you'll actually see toward the end of that chapter, chapter when Jesus is talking about that time of the end of the tribulation period, there are still people that are born again. They are getting saved even in that last half, that horrible last three and a half years, that there are people still getting born again and and becoming saved. The Holy Spirit does not leave the earth. He is here. He is drawing people to the Father, and there are still people getting born again right up to the very end. Isn't God gracious? He's so good. He's so wonderful. And so let's take a look at Daniel 9.27. Then he, and he is talking about the Antichrist here, then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, what that's talking about is when the Antichrist, uh, the Antichrist doesn't start off as the Antichrist. He starts off as, we could say, a diplomat. Let's think of it that way. Israel at that time is actually a very powerful nation. They've been at war with some of the uh, other nations. They've come out on top. They are now a superpower. And so uh, the Antichrist kind of wants to ride on their coattails of their fame and their power. And so he's a great diplomat at this point. And so he cuts a covenant with Israel for seven years. He makes a seven-year covenant with them. And so he confirms the covenant with them for one week. But in the middle of the week... He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What this is saying that in the middle of the week, three and a half years, the Antichrist comes onto the scene now as the Antichrist. He's just not a diplomat anymore. And now he comes out as the Antichrist. He breaks the covenant with Israel right in the middle of the tribulation, and things start to get uh, pretty bad at that point. And, of course, I love it because the Bible tells us that the believers are not appointed to wrath, and so we actually see this mid-tribulation rapture. A lot of times people have said to me, Pastor Dan, are you mid-trib or are you pre-trib? And I always tell them I'm both. Because both are going to take place. And so there's the rapture for the church, uh, the born-again Gentile church before the tribulation. And then right in the middle of the tribulation period, we see this Jewish, uh, predominantly Jewish, uh, evangelists are getting saved. And all the peoples that have been saved through their efforts are are raptured out of that. Uh, Think about this for a minute. Uh, They've got three and a half years to proclaim the gospel. And you can say, how could multitudes get saved in just three and a half years? Uh, We, the Gentile church, we've got the internet, we've got digital media, 
Uh, we've got books. You think of all the ministries that are on the earth today that are writing book after book. How many Christian homes have all these books that have been written explaining end times, explaining how faith operates, how healing operates, talking about Jesus being the Messiah? You know, they might even get a hold of this broadcast. I don't know. But all these things will be left behind when the Gentile church is raptured and goes into heaven. So all this material, all of this research is left behind. And these people, these Jewish evangelists, they begin to get saved. And they may have even taken note of the fact that the Gentiles are missing. And that may catch their attention. And then they may turn and take a look at what we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 9 about the Messiah, and all of a sudden they will say, how did we miss this? This is so clear. And, so, and then all of a sudden with all this material that we've, that we've laid the groundwork for them, uh, they just go through and they just, it just sweeps through the earth and many multitudes are saved. And so we have the Antichrist uh, confirming the covenant and breaking the covenant. Uh, regarding that, Jesus makes a reference to that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. He said, Then when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then he says, let them flee. And so uh, Jesus even referred to the prophet Daniel about in, this, uh, in Daniel chapter 9. So let me make it simple for you. Let's break it down. We're going to do a little math. You've got a calculator there with you. If you don't, it's on the notes, and you can calculate it out later. It's kind of fun to do that. It's, uh, I'm going to break it down really simply for you. So we have King Xerxes gives the command to rebuild the wall in 444 B.C. Then we have a period of seven weeks. Remember, when Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and he rebuilt the wall, how long did it take him? If you said 52 days, you're right. And so it took him 52 days to rebuild the wall. Well, why would it take 49 years? Because the 49-year period is he, he was building some other areas. He was rebuilding the square, town square. He's re, he building some homes, uh, rebuilding the wall. But there was a lot of debris from, from all the years of neglect. And it took 49 years for them to clear out all of the debris out of Jerusalem. So we have a 49-year period. Then we have another 62-week period until that, that passes until the Messiah is cut off or he's crucified. So we have a total of 69 weeks. So let's do the math. So we take uh, 69 weeks. So we have 69 times 7. Comes out to 483 years. We take 430, 483 years. And let's minus 444. And that comes out to 39 AD. But we need to remember that the Hebrew calendar only has 360 days in its year. We have 365. They only had 360 days, 30 days per month. And so let's take 483 and let's multiply that times 360, and that equates to 173,880 days. We need to turn that into days first. So 483 years times 360 in the Jewish calendar, how many days? That equates to 173,880 days. Once we have that in days, then we can divide that by 365 to match our Gregorian calendar, and that comes out to 476 years. 476 years minus 444 comes out to 32 AD. But remember, there is no year zero. So it goes from 1 BC to 1 AD. There is no year zero. So because of that, we have to add one year to our figure, and that comes out to 33 A.D. So we know, through this prophecy, tells us a pinpointed date of when Jesus went to the cross in 33 A.D. That was the year that he was crucified. Now, the people 
of in that time period in the first century, uh, during the first century, uh, there were some that were paying attention to Daniel's prophecy. They had been doing the math, and they knew that at 33 AD, he gets cut off. And so all they had to do was go backwards and figure, well, if he's 30 years old when he goes to the cross, or if he's 40 years old when he goes to the cross, or if he's 25 years old, they just went backwards, and they knew that time frame uh, when the Messiah would be walking in their midst. And they were, some were searching for the Messiah. Have you ever wondered when you go through the scripture that you'll see I've got a few instances here I just want to draw your attention to in John 141, Andrew said to Peter, he says, he said, we have found the Messiah. Well, wait a minute. He found the Messiah. Uh, you know, you don't find something unless you're looking for something. Is that right? You know, uh, if you lose your keys, you're going to go looking for your keys because you don't have them. So you're searching for your keys. And so they were actually looking for the Messiah at that time. And he says, we found him. They were searching and they found him. Uh, how about the Samaritan woman at the well? Uh, John four twenty five. She said to Jesus before she even knew that he was the Messiah, she said to him, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. So she even knew. She had a clue. She, she probably had heard people talking about this very prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And she basically was saying to Jesus, I know that this is the season. I know that this is the time when Messiah is supposed to be here. How about the wise men at Jesus' birth? How did they know to start looking, searching the skies? You know, the Bible tells us that they saw a star and they followed that star. But how did they know at that time to even look up into the heavens, to look into the night sky? They knew that they were in the time period, that season of when the Messiah was supposed to show up on the earth, and they were looking for him. And of course, we know that God created a special star that would lead the wise men uh, to the place of his birth. How about John the Baptist? Uh, in Matthew 11, uh, 2 through 3, he said, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Are you the coming one? And so they were looking, or do we search, do we look for somebody else? And it's interesting, this Greek word, uh, it's a prostokal, and it actually means to look with great expectation in order to interface or interact with. And so it's not just looking, it's, a, it's looking to obtain, it's looking to find, it's looking to not only find but to interact with. So it's a very uh, strategically used word uh, that, is, that is being spoken in this sentence. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? So John the Baptist, they were all looking for the Messiah. How about the surrounding Jews that were just around Jesus? In John 10, 24, it says, Then the Jews surrounding him said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, tell us plainly. So they obviously also knew that this is the season. This is the time that the Messiah is supposed to come onto the scene. And so they are convinced of that. And I'm convinced that they um, <clears throat> knew, that many knew <clears throat> of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. It, you can see, it's just simple math, uh, that, you can, that you can just calculate it out and know exactly uh, when the Messiah is supposed to come. You know, if you've got any Jewish friends... This is a great way to, you know, the Jewish people of today, they're still looking for the Messiah. And uh, this is, if they're open-minded at all, you can use the book of Daniel out of the, out of the Keruvim, you know, it's out of their, out of the Tanakh, out of their Bible, and in the section called the Keruvim. And so that is where the book of Daniel is, along with Psalms and Proverbs and Job and Ruth and Esther, it's in the section called the Keruvim. And so they, they, they can look at Daniel. They can look right in their Bible, and they can calculate this out, and they can see when the Messiah comes. And, of course, we know that Jesus uh, did all the miracles that the, that the Messiah was supposed to do, 
And so he lines right up with, with prophecy. And so in spite of Daniel's prophecy and Jesus' miraculous proofs, the religious leaders of the day largely refused to believe because Jesus did not fit their preconceived idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be. Even though they had the book of Daniel and this great prophecy that Gabriel the angel came and administered to Daniel. I'm so glad that it came through an angel because, you know, today we can say, well, you know, he's just a prophet. He can miss it. Maybe he just had a, you know, maybe he's stretching it or maybe he's missing it. No, this, wasn't, this was given to Daniel by an angel. And so the angel was very specific, and I love it that it came uh, to mankind, it came to Daniel that way. So in the 70th week, the time of the tribulation, many Jews come to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And I really believe that what will happen is when the Gentile church is taken away and all the materials that are left behind, I really believe that they will, through the Holy Spirit, of course, that he will lead them uh, to, they'll see the people, the glut of people that are gone, and the Holy Spirit will bring to somebody's understanding the book of Daniel and that chapter 9. And they'll look at it, they'll do the math, they'll calculate it out, and they'll say, hey, we've missed it. Jesus has already come. He is the Messiah. And all of a sudden, they'll give their life to him, and they'll receive him as Lord and Savior. And a great move of God's power will take place on the earth when many will get saved in a terrible time, right out of the tribulation. How wonderful is that? So now let's go back. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 7, and let's take a look at that section of the 12 tribes that are listed in that that section, in that chapter. And it's kind of interesting because uh, I missed it for a long time. I had actually a friend point this out to me. And uh, we were reading through, we had been reading on the reading plan through Revelation, and uh, he actually, he just came up to me and he said, hey, did you notice that section in, in Revelation chapter 7? He said, did you notice that the book of Dan is, that the, that the tribe of Dan is missing? And I mean, when he said that to me, I just kind of looked at him, blinked my eyes, and I was like, what? And you know why I didn't catch it? Now, maybe some of you do the same thing I used to do, is that when I came to that section in Revelation I saw those 12 tribes. I knew there was 12 entries there. I didn't want to read every one like like I did earlier. You know, it said, you know, of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Of the tribe of, 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 you know, Manasseh, 12,000. And I didn't want to repeat. And so I just knew there's 12 tribes there. I know what the 12 tribes are. And I just kind of skipped over it. I didn't pay attention to it. And a good friend of mine caught it. And when he said to me, did you notice that the tribe of Dan is missing? Uh, the Lord just quickened me and said, so you skipped over it because you knew what was there, huh? (laughs) And I had to say, Lord, uh, I'm sorry. I guess I missed it. So I went back and I began to study this, and I found something very interesting that I'll be bringing to you today. And so regarding the 12 tribes listed in Revelation 7, now remember we talked about remez. Remember what that is? A remez is a hint. It's a clue. It's a look back. And so uh, a Jewish person reading Revelation 7 would have caught a couple of things, would have noticed two things. Uh, A a Western thinker like like myself, I I missed it, and I skipped over it, and I just assumed uh, it was the normal 12 tribes, and I missed it. But a Jewish person, uh, a a Jewish one who had studied, uh, they would have caught it. And they would have seen something different. And so there's, they would have noticed a couple of discrepancies, not just one, but two discrepancies with that list. Let's take a look at the first one. Of the original sons of Jacob, remember those 12 tribes are the sons of Jacob, the original sons of Jacob. Of those original sons of Jacob, the tribe of Dan is missing, like I said, and Jacob's grandson, Manasseh, is substituted in Dan's place. Now, why is that? Why are, why are there 11 of the sons of Jacob listed and then one of his grandsons listed? Interesting. 
Just before Jacob's death, though, Jacob adopted Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so he adopted them, and he brought them in as his own sons. That's at the time of his death. And, of course, we know that um, when, when the land was being divided, uh, that Levi, what the tribe of Levi, became priests. And so they did not inherit any of the land. So the land was still divided 12 parts. And so the Levites became priests. And they, um, they received select cities and some of the common lands around the city. So they really didn't own any land. They had some cities. And, of course, the Bible tells us that the reason for that is that their inheritance was not the land, that the Levites' inheritance was the Lord God himself. And so let's take a look at when this happens and they adopt, when Jacob adopts the two sons of Joseph, uh, If we consider that, then the tribe of Dan and Ephraim are missing. Then there's two tribes that are missing, if we consider that section. And there's interesting, why I brought that up is because, number one, the tribe of Dan was left out initially, and then if we consider that latter portion of when Jacob, just before he died, how he adopted Joseph's two sons, and Ephraim is left out, then we see that these two tribes, Dan and Ephraim, uh, where we find out, if you remember through the scriptures, that they were centers for idolatry. Uh, they had really, this is when King Jeroboam, this is after Solomon's son Rehoboam becomes king. Uh, they didn't want Rehoboam to be their king, so Jeroboam rises up, he rebels, he takes ten of Israel's uh, tribes, and he creates the northern kingdom. And so ten tribes of Israel are the northern kingdom. And he doesn't want them worshiping in Jerusalem anymore. Uh, so he sets up an altar in Bethel, and he sets up another altar in Dan, and he creates golden calves. And he says, these are your gods. And so he has ten tribes of Israel begin to worship these golden calves. And it trickles all the way down through Israel's history. And this is actually, if you want to bring it into a nutshell, this is actually what happened, why uh, the Assyrians, uh, God gives them over to the Assyrians to come into captivity in 722, was because of their rejection of God, and they took on worshiping these golden calves. So we see that Dan and Ephraim are kind of, they symbolize idolatry, uh, symbolize rebellion, symbolize not worshiping God and looking to other gods. Also note that the tribes that are listed in Revelation 7, they're not in the birth order. Now, a Jewish person would have caught that. They are not listed in order of birth. And so let's take a look at what the names actually mean. Okay, we're going to get an understanding of the names of each one of those people, but we're going to take it in their birth order. And so, you know, in ancient times, names had a specific meaning. Uh, I love what we do here at Valley Community Church when we dedicate children. Pastor Terry always brings up the meaning of the children, the meaning of their names. It's so significant, and it's uh, a lot of times you see that prophetic uh, roadmap through their life, if you will, within their name. In Genesis, we find the meanings of the names that's listed in in Revelation 7, and we're going to go through the birth order. So the first one is Genesis 29, 32, and it's Reuben. And so we see, and the name for Reuben, the actual, uh, in the scripture, it says, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And of course, Leah, Leah is the one who gave birth to Reuben. And then Genesis 29, 33, Simeon. And so it says, because the Lord has heard, I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also, again, born to Leah. Genesis 29, 34, uh, Levi is born. And, and the scripture says, now this time my husband will become attached to me. And so uh, that's another child born uh, by Leah. Uh, Genesis twenty nine thirty five. Judah is born. 
And it says, and she says, now will I praise the Lord, another child of Leah. And then it's interesting, the scripture says, and then she stopped bearing children. Maybe that's why she said, praise the Lord. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to birth any more children for a little while. I get a break. And so, no, that's not why she said that. And so Genesis 30, verse 6, then Dan is born. And... Uh, she said, God has judged my case. And of course, this was Rachel. Uh, her, she couldn't have any children, so she gave her maid, Bilhah, uh, over to, to Jacob. And of course, uh, the child Dan was born through that union. Uh, Genesis 30, verse 8, Naphtali. With great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed, I have prevailed. Again, that, was, that child was born through Bilhah. Uh, Genesis thirty eleven, Gad is born, and she says, uh, this, a troop comes. Now, it's interesting, this word Gad, the name Gad is actually two words in the, uh, this phrase is actually two words in the Hebrew, and it actually, the, the, the transliteration of these words is, good fortune comes. So just take note of that. Good fortune comes. I'm going to go through, and this will all make sense in just a little while. And, of course, that child was born to Zilpah, Leah's maid. Genesis 30, verse 13, Asher is born. And uh, I love the name Asher because in the Hebrew, that's the word for, one of the words for blessed is the word Asher. And so it means happy, blessed. And, of course, look what she says. She names him Asher and says, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. And so we see that transliteration of that word. And, of course, that was born to Zilpah and Leah as well. And so Genesis thirty eighteen, Issachar, she says, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. And so this, of course, uh, has come through Leah. And so in Issachar, uh, the word in Hebrew, the word sakar, S-A-K-A-R, actually means wages or compensation. Genesis 30, verse 20, for Zebulun, she says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. And that was to Leah. Genesis 30, 24, Joseph. And she says when she gives birth to Joseph, this is Rachel, finally has a child, and she gives birth to Joseph, and she says, I love this. The Lord shall add. And so she gave to this, to Joseph, a name, the Lord shall add. She was looking prophetically in faith, looking for another child. She had a revelation that she would have another child. And so the Lord shall add to me another son. And then in Genesis 35, verse 18, of course, the name Benjamin. And then she says, and so she names she names him the son of my sorrow, and then her husband, Jacob, comes along and changes the name of the child to Benjamin, and he didn't want that son to have, to have that name, son of my sorrow, for the rest of his life, so he, inter- he intervenes, changes the name to the son of my right hand. I love that, and so that uh, son of my right hand, in, in the Hebrew culture, Middle East culture, uh, anything having to do with the right hand speaks of strength, uh, speaks of precious, speaks of something being dear. Uh, it's the position of honor being at the right hand. And so I love that. The son of my right hand, of course, born to Rachel. And then we have Manasseh, Genesis forty-one fifty-one, And uh, when he was born, it said, For God has made me forget all my toil. And, of course, that was Joseph's son. That would be Jacob's grandson. Now, there is actually a remez here in all of the names and all those scriptures. Uh, there's an actual hidden meaning here. So let's go through. I'm going to take all these. Uh, I'm going to take all these names. We just went through the birth order of all those names. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 7, and we're going we're gonna to look at these names in the order they're listed in Revelation 7. Remember, Dan is not listed. And so we're going to look at these names. And so I'm just going to put 
you can go back and check the scriptures to check me out, make sure that I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm correct here, but we're going to actually put uh, the abbreviated meaning to each one. So you look at Judah. He's the first one who's listed, and that is actually means praise the Lord. The son Reuben, he has looked on my affliction, is the shortened name for Reuben. Gad, good fortune comes. Asher, happy and blessed am I. Naphtali, my wrestling. Manasseh, he has made me forget my sorrow. Simeon, God hears me. Levi, has joined me. Issachar, rewarded me. Zebulun, exalted me. Joseph, adding to me. And Benjamin, the son of his right hand. Now let's take and string all these meanings together in a paragraph form. Listen to this. Now this is talking about those 12 Jewish tribes that are servants of God. And remember I said that they are a Jewish evangelist that have come to the place of knowing that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And some may be listening to me and say, Pastor Dan, I think you're stretching it a little bit. Well, I don't think you'll, you'll think that after you hear this paragraph because it's in every one of their names listed in that specific order. Praise the Lord. He has looked on my affliction and good fortune comes. Happy and blessed am I. My wrestling has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me, has joined me, rewarded me, exalting me by adding to me the son of his right hand. Wow. Is that amazing? Right there in the 12 names that are listed there in that order that is not according to the birth order, there is actually a message that was contained in Revelation 7 uh, that is kind of a hidden message. It's a hint. You've got to look into it. It's a clue to dig a little deeper. But when you go back and you look at all the names in, through Genesis and you see what those names mean, and then you read them in that order, uh, you can see that these people, this, these 12 tribes in the tribulation time get saved. They received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They took heed to that prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, and they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And of course, uh, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, they go through and they begin witnessing, uh, preaching, uh, ministering to many, and many throughout the world, multitudes get saved and come into heaven. Isn't that awesome? With the exclusion of the tribes of Dan and Ephraim, the message is this. Self-works, being a good person, and belonging to any of the world's many religions are not enough to earn salvation and eternal life with Almighty God. Jesus is the only way to the Father. A person must be born again by receiving God's free gift of grace through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And of course, we know the scriptures in John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And of course, then when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we know that salvation comes only through receiving Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as it was foretold in the book of Daniel in the ninth chapter. And we see it echoed so beautifully in this remez in Revelation chapter 7 of the joy and the exhilaration that is being proclaimed by the Jewish population, these Jewish evangelists, saying that God has added to me the son of his right hand. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to encourage you today to ask him into your heart. It's so easy. All you have to do is believe that he is God, 
believe that he came to this earth and took the form of humanity as a human being, that he went to the cross, he lived a perfect life, he fulfilled all of the terms of the law, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, all because he loves us so much, uh, and just an unending love, took our sin upon himself on the cross, paid the price for our rebellion, our sin, our pulling away from God. And then he died there and he rose again with new life, satisfied all the claims of God's justice. And now anyone who wants to go to heaven, who wants to become born again, can simply, by faith, say, Jesus, I believe who you are who you are. I believe you are God. I believe you're the Savior. I believe you're the Lord. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to take over my life and help me live uh, the way I'm supposed to live. I want to live with you. I want to be with you forever. I want to live in your kingdom. And it's such an amazing thing because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you. Uh, And he will help you every day of your life. Uh, It's such a wonderful it's so, it's so exhilarating uh, when, we come, when I come into areas of life where I don't know what to do. We all have those moments where we just don't know what to do. What do I do next? And I can just take a moment and I can pray and I can ask the Lord for direction. And uh, all of a sudden, I just have a knowing that this is, the, this is the way I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it's just awesome to have that uh, inside wisdom throughout this life, and that can be yours as well. So let me pray with you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters today. I give you praise for everyone who has received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for that new life. Lord, I ask you to fill them with your spirit. I ask you to uh, give them their spiritual language. Baptize them with the Holy Spirit as well. And Father, we thank you, Lord. Help them to hear your voice, to be led by you. Lord, give them a hunger for your word. And Lord, lead them into the right church in their area where they need to be attending. And Father, we give you praise. Lord, I bless everyone at Valley Community Church. We thank you, Lord. COVID, you have no place in our lives, and we command you to go now. Father, we thank you for your hedge of protection over each one, and we give you praise. Anybody who's dealing with any form of sickness or disease, we speak healing now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing. We look forward to being together soon. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We look forward to being with you soon.